Well, I promise to make um, this time a little less awkward than our worship experience. Um, I, I actually offered to lead this worship. No, I, I actually, let me back up a little bit. Yes, my name is Daryl, and I am the pastor of Hilltop Church. And no, I don't like to consume the mic. You, you're probably thinking, man, that guy was just leading worship. What does he want to do at all? It was funny, and kind of leading up to today's service, me and Will pulled an audible to try to um, work out some musical kinks that we've been having, actually some sound kinks. And so I offered myself to lead worship. I don't know how helpful I was. Worship team, I apologize. I realized that that metronome was on a whole different <laughs> time signature than I was playing, and I'm totally sorry. Um, but anyways, that's besides the point. So I hope to make this time just a little less awkward for everybody. Um, Will, thank you so much. Worship team, thank you so much for persevering, pressing in. And making Christianity look good. Amen? Amen. Well, all right. Everybody happy? Everybody good? Okay. Some of you, I'm just looking out of the crowd. I'm wondering. No, I'm kidding. Well, my name is Daryl Temple again. Me and my wife, Bethany, pastor this church together. Um, I get to bring the word again. We've started a new sermon series called The Inward Disciplines. The Inward Disciplines. Um, hopefully, I was able to do somewhat of a... Um, convincing job in trying to help us understand why it is we should be disciplined spiritually. Um, I necessarily didn't go after any specific disciplines, as I hope to today, but I tried to lay at least some kind of convincing, uh, uh, probably barely articulate uh, 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 concept of why God, why the scriptures encourages us, exhorts us to be disciplined in a walk, that it's not just legalism, it's not religion to be disciplined, it's actually um, called for in scripture, we use the apostle Paul as the example, and so we're going to continue that conversation this morning, is that okay? All right, before we do that, let's just open with a word of prayer before we unpack God's word. Father, I thank you for this time, but Lord, now in this next half an hour, to 40 minutes, Lord, I need you. I, I need you to rest upon my heart and even more so my mouth. God, I pray, Lord, that um, I would speak your word and, Lord, your word would do its work in our hearts. I, I pray, Lord, that, 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 Lord, somehow your grace would rest upon these next couple of minutes that we share together, that every heart would leave this place wanting to be more disciplined, wanting to be more focused spiritually. Jesus, that is my desire. And now, God, I ask, Lord, for your help. Lord, we ask, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to come now into this time and testify of Christ to our hearts that we may never be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you say amen like you actually mean it, church? Okay. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, I think a 16th century um, theologian slash philosopher. His name is St. Augustine of Hippo. That's a weird, I don't even know where Hippo is. Maybe somebody after service can help me uh, where that is. I was doing some research on Augustine. And it, it comes to find out that in his day, he not only was a uh, profound theologian and philosopher in his day, but he also introduced a concept um, in his time called witness, witness. And luckily for us, if you're like, what does that mean? Well, 
luckily for us, I'm not the only pastor who has studied uh, St. Augustine. There are other pastors, and luckily there are churches in their study of St. Augustine who have broken down this witness concept to a hashtagable sentence. <laughs> Praise God. And that sentence is this, and this is where you want to keen and, and, and kind of focus in because this is literally going to lay, and if, essentially if you get nothing else out of today's sermon, I pray that you can hold on to this, latch on to this, and take it with you as you leave this place. But again, breaking down the concept of withness is this, is that it's impossible to do life for Jesus without doing life with Jesus. I got one amen in the back. Thank you, sir, whoever you were. I think I recognize your voice. But again, let me, let me, let me say that again. It is impossible to do life for Jesus without doing life with Jesus. Amen. A couple more people got it that time. I mean, if you're anything like me, I mean, doing life for Jesus is easy, right? I mean, maybe it's not. I don't know. But for me, if you give me a list of like do's and don'ts, like I can quickly snap in and just go along with the program. Anybody married here today? I'm sure we don't have many, but I'm, anybody, the few, the proud, the married? Okay, some of you guys are like, I don't want to raise my hand. I don't really want to own up to the fact that I'm married. Um, I'm, a, I'm a kind of like uh, to the list kind of guy. Anybody who's married, you know that you got your honey-do list. Like in, in all who are still waiting to get married, you will get it. Eventually this, this list of things that, uh, that you're to do. Why? The wife is gone. And in my particular house, that to-do list is interesting because, well, my wife is very holistic in that, um, you know, I, I, for lunch, I just can't take my kid out to McDonald's. It just doesn't work that way. So I, I have to, like, prepare organic, non-GMO meals. It's, it's quite tricky. Uh, but, uh, but if Bethany gives me a list of things to do, I can knock it out of the park. Like, come on. But the, the, the downfall of this is, if she does not include something, even little small details to this list, I will not do them. So, for example, um, you know, when it comes to washing white clothes, she'll come and say, oh, you did laundry. I say, yeah, you washed whites. Yeah, awesome. Did you add bleach? That wasn't on the list. <laughs> like, there was nowhere in there that said I had to put bleach. Uh, when Abram brushes his teeth, did he floss? That wasn't on the list. Like, I'm thinking toothbrush in hand, just brush them. You know, I think we have like an eight-second rule. You're done. Let's go to bed. Um, put the laundry away, right? Uh, did you separate the pants from the socks and the shirt? No. Who does that? I just, I folded it, stacked I mean, any guys know what I'm talking about? You just folded it, stacked it, and put it away. Sheets on the bed. Did you make the bed? Yeah. Where's the pillowcases? I don't know. It wasn't on the list. But doing life with Jesus is a whole other kind of living, isn't it? How many have ever heard of Brother Lawrence? He's a 7th century uh, monk. He, he said this in his book, um, Practicing the Presence of God. He said, we ought not to be weary in doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which is it, it is performed. Let me say that again. We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. 
I ended last uh, Sunday's sermon in kind of telling you a short little story about an experience that I had um, when I was leading worship at a conference in Connecticut. Um, I'm not going to go over the story again, but essentially I was done leading worship. I was rather impressed with my set. I felt really good about myself. And I couldn't wait to, like, after the conclusion of that service to just go out and mingle with the audience. I think there was about 1,000 to 2,000 people there at the time. And um, I just couldn't wait to go out there and hear how good I was and how, you know, awesome I was as a worship leader. And so I was really looking forward for the service to be done. I think Lou Engel was bringing the word, so he's a little bit long-winded. And so uh, he ended, and I quickly got out of my seat and went immediately to try to mingle with the crowd when a worship leader that was also on the bill grabbed my wrist and took me to the pastor's office. I thought I was going to be in trouble. Lo and behold, I wasn't. He led me into this office to start talking to me about uh, cultivating a private life with Jesus, Uh, um, uh, kind of niching out within my home life, a life of worship. At that point, I really didn't get it uh, because, you know, I felt like, you know, I don't know, just worshiping Jesus, you know, getting your guitar in your bedroom, you know, or whatever, in your living room by yourself seems a little bit awkward. Do I have anybody with me? It always felt more natural just to be in front of people and lead. But the worship leader kindly was just saying, Daryl, you know, the this, this, this expression of worship, this time of worship you just led was awesome. But let me tell you what it's all about. It's about what happens behind the scenes. Again, back to the statement, I was very good at doing life for Jesus, but not so much with Jesus. And luckily, and I do say that word or use that word appropriately, that caught up with me. I could no longer sustain a public life of ministry because my private life, in God lacked significantly. Let me say that again. I could no longer sustain a public, public, excuse me, life of ministry because my private life was so lacking. My private expression, just getting alone, locking in with God behind the scenes when nobody else was uh, looking, lacked, and it started to catch up with me. You know, it's interesting that This witness concept is something that Jesus modeled in his ministry. Jesus often got away, right, from the crowds. The most awkward times, you notice in the Gospels, Jesus, tons of people around him would disappear. I mean, that's that's so not what I would do as a pastor, right? I mean, people are here, let's lock in, let's serve, let's preach, let's sell the Gospel. You never know if they're going to come back again. Lo and behold... Jesus has this track record of just like, you know, pe- people are around, he leaves. He, he, he had this kind of private life with God that I think, I know, I don't think the disciples took notice. If you want to just look at some scriptures that exist, you can look at Mark 3, 7. We're going to go through these rather quick. It says this in Mark 3, 7, that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake um, and a large crowd from Galilee followed him. So here he is with his 12. You know, I can picture Jesus. Come on, guys, run. Now, I'm sure it wasn't like that. But, I mean, he's withdrawing. In Mar- uh, Luke 6, uh, 12 uh, through 13, it says, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him. Let's go on. There's more. And I'm only going to touch just a couple here. 
in Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat to, uh, privately to a solitary place. So not only is, is Jesus withdrawing uh, from crowds at kind of awkward times, but there's also things going on in the life of Jesus' ministry where he's withdrawing also. I'm sure that in, in, in many ways, Jesus was sad over the death of John the Baptist. So now he's going to connect with the Lord, ultimately to have the Father touch his grieving heart at the time. Mark 6, 31 through 32, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Matthew 14, 23, hopefully you're not getting bored. After Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. Two more. Is that okay? Mark 17, 24. Jesus entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know it. Has anybody experienced this ever in their life? I have. He didn't want anyone to know that he entered this house, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Last one, John 7, 10. After his brothers had gone up to the feast, then Jesus also went up, not publicly, but in private. Now, what's interesting here is the disciples had gone before Jesus to a feast. Um, they had, were tracking from Galilee to Jerusalem, which would have took Jesus five days to get there. That's five days of solitude. So yes, very much so. Jesus modeled within his life withness. Withness. The whole concept that you cannot do life for God without doing life with God. You cannot do life for Jesus while trying to do life without Jesus. I believe that, and this is not really reflected in Scripture, but I believe that this was kind of the source of what empowered Jesus' ministry. You, you think about it. The disciples never once asked, how do you do these miracles, Jesus? But lo and behold, they're seeing it. They're witnessing it, right? I mean, like, they're seeing Lazarus, uh, you know, rise from the grave. They are seeing blind eyes open, leprosy healed, demons cast out. And not once did the disciples say, hey, hey, Jesus, can you, can you tell us how do you do that? What, what do the disciples ask? What do the disciples want to know how to do? Well, in Luke 11, verse 1, we see this. It says, now when Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples to pray. And now it's interesting, again, just thinking about it. If, if I'm there, if I'm that disciple, the last thing I'm probably going to ask, the last thing I'm probably not going to say, hey, teach me how to do, is, hey, can you teach me how to pray? I'm going to be like, hey, like, how did you do that thing with Lazarus? What's the secret? But I, but I believe the disciples were... Um, were locked into what actually the secret was that, that empowered Jesus to do what he did. And that was not necessarily just happening when those miracles happened, but when Jesus withdrew. And so I think, now again, you cannot see this reflected in Scripture. 
But I think the disciples are wise enough to be like, hey, there is something going on when Jesus withdraws. There there is something when Jesus goes and connects with the Father. There is is this this thing that, could it be that this witness that Jesus has with the Father is what is actually empowering and fueling his doing? And I can't help but think that that we see this model in Jesus' life uh, for a reason so that we can, like the disciples, pick up on something very interesting here about Jesus. Again, we're all for the doing, right? I mean, like I said, give me the list. I will work at it. But there's something that is just a tragedy when we want to do, especially ministry without Jesus. So they ask Jesus how to pray. Interestingly enough, though, Jesus not only sought solitude, but he encouraged the private expression of similar disciplines. Disciplines like charity, prayer and fasting and others, worship. The list goes on. If you would like to turn to Matthew 6, too, and we can see a lot there in about four or five verses in the same chapter. It says in Matthew 6, verse 2, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory from man. Assuredly, I say to you, they have excuse me, their reward. Or verse 5 in the same chapter. And when you pray, you shall be like, I'm sorry, You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues. And then in verse 16, uh, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with the sad countenance, for their disfigured faces, uh, they appear to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. The disciples are warned, excuse me, uh, consistently about um, bringing the attention to themselves through certain disciplines like prayer, charity, worship, fasting, and all these things. And and Jesus goes as far as to say, hey, listen, you know, if if your left hand is doing something charitable, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Of course, I mean, how can you do that? How does that even work out? Like, I mean, but, but that's not the point. The point is that these disciplines, these practices should be done in private as much as possible. We're always looking for the public expression of these things. But yet, Jesus spoke very little about the public expression of these things and very much about the private disciplines of these things. The real tragedy, guys, in the church today is when we call for the appearance, the disciplines or things that we ourselves fail to demonstrate in our lives. I am the biggest hypocrite of that. When we we call for, uh, you know, uh, prayer, when we call for the worship of God, but yet in our own lives we're not stewarding that, that our only kind of expression uh, of worship and prayers when we come together on church on a Sunday morning or on a midweek service or in the prayer room, it has to go far beyond. See, that was exactly my problem in the early days of my ministry. I wanted the public life, and I did little to steward the private. The first person, guys, I needed to learn how to lead 
and the worship of God was myself. And, and there's more Christians that, that if they would just latch on to leading themselves first, man, ooh, your lives would change. See, we're always looking outward and what our pastors can do for us, what our leaders can do for us, what Sunday morning could do for us. And, and I'm sure, hey, listen, we all have to have some kind of expectation when we come together. But how about you leading yourself when nobody else is watching? How about you uh, cracking open the scriptures on Monday morning with your family? How about you and I getting your guitar, even though you may only know two chords in worshiping Jesus? How about uh, you as a, a, a father, as a husband, leading your family? in a prayer service. I mean, how about that? And what, what would be the effects of a church who actually was disciplined with these things rather than just waiting for Sunday? Just going to do church, going to do God on Sunday. There's, there's a problem in the church today. You see, guys, when Jesus said Abide in me and I shall abide for you. Jesus was calling for an unbroken fellowship with his people. A, a fellowship that does not end. Now you say, how can I do that? Well, see, your relationship with Jesus has to be just as natural as your relationship with a friend or a spouse. It's that you don't just have to be in this building to do life with Jesus. You could be at your car pumping gas. You could be at your house in the morning getting coffee ready. You could do Jesus at the desk or in the dorm room. You can incorporate and should incorporate Jesus into everything, every day, all the time. I think a lot of us, just because I know things are common amongst the brethren, fit into the category of just doing Jesus when it's convenient and, and, and not treating Jesus as like somebody actually we're, we're doing life with, we're in a relationship with. Now I know that sounds so, you know, trite and empty, but it is true. We're, we're, we're not practicing a religion here. We're, we're not practicing how to be better disciplined in a religion. We're practicing how to be better disciplined in a relationship. You see, I have to do this in my marriage. I, I, I can't just go about in my marriage, thinking, ah, you know, I don't have to, you know, do certain things to woo my wife's heart, to love and show that I love her. I, I have to actually put forth the effort in displaying my love for my wife. And it's funny that, you know, we are the bride of Christ, that we are in a relationship with Christ. And we should, in many ways, look to build our relationship with Christ in the way that we are disciplined. This was Brother Lawrence's plight. He wrote a book called um, Practicing the Presence of God. And he had this heart that wanted to experience his experience, excuse me, God's presence in everywhere, in every way that he possibly could. And this is a quote taken from his book. It says this the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company. <laughs> I 
Let me just read that again. That was good. The most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company. Speaking humbly and loving with him in all seasons, at every moment, without limiting the conversation in any way. This is especially important in times of temptation, sorrow, and separation from God. Now listen to this. This is so beautiful. Even in times of unfaithfulness and sin. I can't imagine a people, a church, who would squander the opportunity of a God who is saying, come to me. You know, I I can't imagine us, the body of Christ, squandering and not utilizing a a relationship uh, where God's saying, hey, listen, you can come to me. You can talk to me. You can seek me. You can knock and I will open the door. You can seek and I will find. You will find. I I can't imagine why, why on earth we don't utilize such a relationship and why we only put it in blocks when it's convenient, when it works, when it's Sunday. (laughs) The beauty of our relationship with God is that it is never-ending, never-ceasing. And of course, I'm sure a lot of us already know that. See, I want to take what we know and put it into practice. I, I want to I take the lofty thoughts of like, oh, yeah, sure, God. You know, it's, it, you know, it's all the time, every day. You'll speak to me. You'll, you'll be with me. You'll commune with me. I, I know that. But I, I can ascend there mentally. I can know that. But see, living that is harder. It, it, it's, it, it's so much harder to understand that God wants to be part of my everything. A, a part of my every day. All the time. Irregardless of where I'm at. That is hard to wrap my mind around. I believe it's hard for some of us here to wrap our minds around. But but I believe that if we would just prescribe to certain kind of disciplines, man, a world full of difficulties would disappear. What stands in your way today, friends? If we were honest, like what, what stands in your way of communing with God in such a way that goes beyond Sunday morning? What, what, what stands in your way? What, what is it? What is it? Sin? Do you feel like God would reject you instead of embrace you and love you? What, what is it? Is it, is it busyness? You're just, you're just so busy that you can't find... Is it, just being unaware. I mean, for the most part, I, I realize that throughout my week, I'm largely unaware of how much Jesus wants to be with me. It's, it's funny how that can skip your mind and just 
the regular practices and disciplines of the day. Things like child raising and paying bills and, and, and doing ministry. It's funny how I can lose sight of a Christ who wants to be with me. Where have you lost sight of that truth? What will your Monday look like? You know? Will it look, look like you enjoying the fellowship and the rich relationship with Jesus who's there, who's present with you? Or will you just get lost into the grind and totally be absent-minded that Jesus wants a relationship. See, I think we need to turn this ship around from just a people who know how to do Christian things on Sunday to Christians who live like Christians every day. And, and not just in their doing for Jesus, but their being with Jesus. There's a big difference. There's a big difference from just doing life for Jesus and doing life with Jesus. I don't know. I'd rather do life with Jesus. And I'm sure there's plenty here that desire that also. You know, I'll be honest with you just for the sake of transparency in hopes that it might ring something or spark something in your heart. And I'm often using my own um, craziness and weakness to try to drive home points. But, man, one of the hardest things that um, me and my wife has faced, and this is interesting because, you know, we're prayerful people. We are. But one of the hardest things that I think I've had um, in trying to accomplish in my relationship with my wife is having a focused time where we pray together. And, and ultimately, guys, you know, that, that's, that's like, that, that saddens my heart because here I am calling for discipline. Discipline of prayer, the discipline of charity, the discipline of fasting, the discipline of worship. And here I myself lack in so many ways. And, and I, I can tell you that in, in, in seeing that lack and even feeling that this morning, knowing that there is a side of Daryl, your pastor, who needs God's grace to be able to lead his family in prayer. I believe that God also wants to extend a grace towards you. Not beat you up and say, hey, listen, after all, you know, I gave my life for you, so could you spend 15 minutes with me this morning in prayer? No, that's not what I'm talking about. How, how many of us, would just be honest, you want your private prayer life to grow with Jesus? Just raise your hand. Right. I mean, it's over 90% of this group. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not coming here and trying to beat you up. I'm trying to remind you of a precious gift that you have in Jesus Christ. Now imagine, like there is for me, 
There is for you many things that stand in the way of being able to lay hold of Christ in the place of prayer. And I want to open up this altar call and just believe God to move in a significant way this morning. Can we do that? Like, I, I don't know. Like, if you're here this morning, you're like, man, there are many things that maybe it's just a lack of discipline. Maybe it's not anything really all that big. It's just like you're just undisciplined. I mean, I cannot, that's, that's just what it is for me. It's just not important. I, I give myself to what I feel is important. Therefore, I'm very much undisciplined in leading my family in that way. And so I, I, I want to be able to maybe put some things to death this morning. And so I'm going to ask Hannah to come on up, maybe the worship team, just to play some backing music. And we're going to open the altar call. I'm not going to invite the core team up because I feel like this is just a time when we just need to lay things before God. You know, again, I'm, I'm coming transparent and saying, hey, listen, I know for the most part I am largely undisciplined in leading my family spiritually in prayer. But I want to deal with that today, and I believe that there might be others here that might want to deal with some things that might be standing in the way of you being disciplined 